Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Open lines right now if you want to get in. Now's a good time. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, Talking a lot of Sixers so far tonight, obviously, as James Harden is traded, but not to the Sixers. He ends up going to Brooklyn for just a massive haul of draft picks. Um... Then Houston ends up flipping Karis LeVert to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. And, I mean, it's it's a massive deal. Uh, and uh, James Harden finally gets his wish. He is out of Houston, joins his buddies Kevin Durant, and, I mean, I guess maybe Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. We don't know if Kyrie Irving is when he's going to be back to play again. But um, James Harden ends up going to Brooklyn, and... Uh, the reporting was that Sixers and the Nets were in it to the very end. Um, Wednesday afternoon, it appeared that the Sixers were getting James Harden. For about an hour, from 3 to 4 o'clock, it looked like this deal was getting done. And the Sixers were going to end up pulling the trigger, sending Ben Simmons, maybe Matisse Thibel, and, and picks to Houston for James Harden. And then uh, the Woge Brown drops. Um, the Shams bomb, whatever you want to call it. And Brooklyn ends up getting it done. And uh, in the end, Daryl Morey said no. And I think that's very interesting. And um, Mark Spears of ESPN uh, reported that one of the big reasons Sixers didn't do this deal is that Doc Rivers did not want to trade Ben Simmons. And um, I want to know where people fall on this. How disappointed are you? I think everybody has some level of disappointment. You know, I'm disappointed. And I'm a Ben Simmons fan, but I, I'd come around on the fact that this was the right move for the 76ers. That the maximize your window, which is right now with Joel Embiid playing at an MVP level, Joel Embiid having finally taken that critical step to get his body right, get in shape, that your championship window was now. And that James Harden was a better compliment to Joel Embiid than Ben Simmons. I I felt that way. And I am disappointed that this move didn't get done. But I, at the same time, trust Daryl Morey. And I trust that Daryl Morey will find other ways to improve this team down the line this season. Whether that be Bradley Beal coming available in a couple months. Whether that be somebody we're not even thinking about who comes available. Guys end up becoming available in the NBA seemingly out of nowhere. And I trust that Daryl Morey will find a way to get a deal done to improve this team, whether it includes Ben Simmons or not. But a lot of people are frustrated. A lot of people are are upset. You know, do you trust Daryl Morey? Or do you think the Sixers blew a golden opportunity? Did they squander an unbelievable chance? to get 
a, a top player in the NBA like James Harden. So we've been discussing that. Also, uh, talking about the Eagles, and we've been talking about some of the coach candidates. We'll get to a couple more before we get out of here. Um, but but I got to, got to get to this real quick. It, I, I never got a chance to talk about Tuesday, um, and we haven't talked about it yet because of all the Sixers stuff we've been doing. But um, I'm angry with the Eagles. Like The Jeffrey Lurie press conference annoyed me. Um, it bothered me. It, did, it, 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 it concerned me for the future of this organization. But what we have heard since has angered me. Because for weeks, we knew what this decision for the Eagles offseason was most likely going to come down to. And it was going to come down to Jeffrey Lurie choosing between his head coach and his quarterback. And uh, what happened and how this went down is nothing short of disgraceful and uh, you know we we all knew what was going to happen we all knew who wanted Doug out and now it's all out in the open and first we'll start with Ian Rappaport um who reported this on Monday after Doug was fired here was Ian Rappaport on uh Carson Wentz's role in the Doug Peterson dismissal the other part of this involves Carson Wentz now from what I understand Carson Wentz would not have wanted to be back in Philadelphia had Doug Peterson come back, just did, did not feel like there was any uh, sense in in continuing that relationship. Did not think he was going to be was going to get better as a football player, and just didn't want to do it. The fact that Peterson is now out does increase the chances that Carson wins his back. Just didn't want He just didn't want to do it. Carson just didn't want to do it. And I'm sorry, man. I, and I know I've ripped him all year, and people think I hate Carson. And you know what? I I don't like the guy. I really don't like him. Um. I think he is a baby. I think he is a child. I don't think he's a good quarterback. There was a time he was. He's not anymore. And he's not going to be again. And for him to pull this, because you know what it is. Carson's upset that he got benched. He's upset that Doug took him out of the game. When he stunk, man. He was the worst quarterback in the NFL this year. And he's going to sulk. And he's going to cry. And he's going to get his way. Because that's what he's used to in this organization. There has been this precedent within the Eagles organization that whatever Carson wants, Carson gets. And I don't know if he was always this spoiled. I don't know if he grew up this way. But what he has become is a a bad teammate. And we had that reporting years ago. We just chose to ignore it. I'll admit I chose to ignore it. After 2018, the Philly Voice story. Everything that was reported in that has turned out to be true. You can tell his teammates don't like him. You can tell that he he is particular, and that's putting it very nicely, over uh, you know being coached. He doesn't respond well to coaching. He's very particular about what plays he wants to run, what he wants to do. I won't run this because Nick Foles ran this. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And the guy has been such a crybaby. And this was from Troy Aikman on um, on Wednesday. He joined Michael Irvin. And, and I don't have the sound, but here's what Troy Aikman had to say. And this is Troy Aikman after he talked to Doug Peterson. And this was the impression Troy Aikman got is that Doug Peterson said in his convers- from his conversation with Jeffrey Lord, it was a difference of opinion in how they're going to move forward with the quarterback position. Troy Aikman says, it's my belief that Doug Peterson felt that Jalen Hurts should be the quarterback moving forward. And he thinks it all came down to how they're going to handle Carson Wentz. And we all knew this was what it was going to come down to. Was Jeffrey Lurie chose Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson? And I can't help but think that was a massive mistake. A massive mistake. And it just bothers me. It really bothers me. The way this organization has coddled this guy for years. And when they had the opportunity to finally say enough is enough. Man up. 
You might not like the coach. You got to deal with the coach. You guys got to get on the same page. You got to figure this out. Carson Wentz got his coach fired. Let's face it. He at least played a role in it. And um, I want to get to some sound from Jeffrey Lurie here. Because uh, Jeffrey Lurie talked about this a little bit during his press conference. And he was asked about it. Uh, Here was Jeffrey Lurie on how much of the change, the decision to fire Doug, came down to Carson Wentz. This kind of decision has uh, probably multiple, multiple variables, but it's not based on um, a quarterback or a particular position group. Um, Certainly you have to look at the regression of our offense. Um, You know, this is a league that scored the most most points ever um, in 2020. Uh, It's a league that started to not call offensive holding penalties and offensive pass interference penalties. And yet we were, Obviously, I think 31st in offense. So I, I look more at the whole the whole picture. It's not about a particular player or a particular group. And, um, you know, and, and that's true for going forward. I mean, I think uh, you all know me. Uh, I, I put a heavy emphasis on um, wanting to have an elite offense. And uh, I, I feel like defense has variables, variations throughout the year. But if you want to be a dominant team – you need to be a top offensive unit. And I, I didn't see I, – I, it's hard for me to project that um, at the moment, and therefore, you know – but it's multiple variable. I don't want you to think there's, you know, one possible explanation for a, a change in head coach. It's it's way far more complex than that. So, you know, Jeffrey Lurie talks about the offense taking a step back. I mean, if you watch the games, you realize – the offense took a step back because of the quarterback. I mean, you look late in the season. The offense looked a lot better when Jalen Hurts was in there. It did. A lot better. Significantly better. In all four games. Even the Dallas game and the Washington game. The offense actually moved the ball. They actually functioned at a somewhat respectable level. With Carson Wentz in there, they weren't doing anything. Part of that has to do um, with the fact that he only wants to run certain things. He only wants to run what Carson likes to run. He only likes to do what Carson likes to do. Uh, when people ask, why does Doug not change the play calling? Why do you think Doug didn't change the play calling? Doug didn't change the play calling because Carson doesn't want to run certain plays. It's amazing how the play calling changed when he puts in a quarterback who responds to coaching, right? Amazing. Um, but we do now have that Troy Aikman audio. Here's exactly what Troy Aikman had to say in regards uh, to, to Doug Peterson. You know, Mike, I, uh, I reached out to, to Doug Peterson yesterday when I heard the news, and I, I'm surprised. I, what I gathered, and I, I don't know, I, I don't have any insight, but what I gathered it came down to was a difference of opinion as to how they were moving forward at the quarterback position is what mm-hmm. I sensed. I sensed that, you know, here Jeff Lurie, the owner, has paid a lot of money to Carson Wentz, and they're on the hook with him. They can't get out of that contract you know, right away. And yet it's my belief that Doug Peterson felt that Jalen Hurts was probably the quarterback going forward. And and how how does that mesh, you know? And so I I just, without having any understanding of what took place in that meeting, I think the, they said, well, there's a difference of opinion as to how they're going to go forward and correct this past season. I I believe it all came down to how they were going to handle Carson Wentz. And, and, uh, and that's why Doug Peterson's now looking for a job. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It, it, I mean, it doesn't get any easier to figure out than that. And, you know, I brought it up with Jeffrey Lurie earlier as far as the success going to his head from 2017. And while it was great for everybody, it was great for the organization, it was the worst thing that happened to Jeffrey Lurie. And Jeffrey Lurie can't get over that season. He can't get over the fact that that season has made him think he's some sort of genius. And he can't get over the fact that Carson Wentz was really good that year. And the fact that ever since then, Carson Wentz hasn't been really good. Because Jeffrey Lurie believes that Carson Wentz is still that guy when he is not. He is clearly not, for anybody who's watching this team closely, for anybody that's watching Carson Wentz closely. You can tell Carson Wentz is, at best, an average quarterback. At the very best, and it's always ever going to be, but not according to Jeffrey Lurie. Here is Jeffrey Lurie when asked whether Carson will be on the roster in 2021. So Carson, the way, first of all, uh, I, I don't think any owner should decide that. I mean, that's that's uh, not, not at all. Carson, to us, 
to me and to, I think, virtually everybody in our organization um, is a quarterback that his first four years was uh, in many ways elite and comparable to some of the great quarterbacks first four years in the league. Um, fifth year, obviously not um, satisfactory uh, for whatever reasons. There are probably multiple reasons for that. Um, so I, I think the way I look at it is we have an asset and we have a talent. He's a great guy. He wants nothing but to win big and win Lombardi trophies for Philadelphia. This guy is tireless. He has heart in the right place. Uh, he's really dedicated off season, on season. Uh, he's just what you want. And um, it's, it behooves us as a, as a team with a new coach, new coaching staff, to be able to really uh, get him back to that elite progression um, where he was capable of, and at the same time, uh, understand that there have been many quarterbacks in their fourth and fifth year. If you trace this, uh, you can come up with many, many quarterbacks uh, that have, you know, a single year where it's just, whoa, the touchdown to interception ratio is not what you want. And, and we're talking some great ones like Peyton and Ben and guys like that. Uh, so I, I, I take a sort of a more, um, probably a longer view of, this was not the best season for our offense. It was a poor season, and we also had a poor season um, at, at from Carson in terms of what he's been able to show in the past. Very fixable, and I, I fully expect him to uh, uh, realize his potential. It's just delusional. It's delusional to compare him to Peyton Manning and, and Ben Roethlisberger. After a year like that, it's unreal. And the facts are... He really hasn't been that good the past few years. He wasn't very good in 2019. He wasn't very good in 2018. 2020 was not the aberration. 2017 was the aberration. And Jeffrey Lurie fails to get that through his head. And instead, he chooses Carson Wentz over a good coach in Doug Peterson, who the players liked, the players respected. And it was a mistake. It was a massive mistake. And even even the staunchest Carson Wentz uh, defenders see what happened here. Uh, this is from ESPN. This was Dan Orlovsky, the number one Carson Wentz defender here, um, talking about what exactly happened in regards to Carson Wentz uh, versus Doug Peterson. And that's exactly what happened. Here's more from Dan Orlovsky on the next coach's job being to fix uh, the broken Carson Wentz. I was distracted there. Did I hear like a a belch in the middle of that clip, Mike? Did you hear that? I think it might have been from from Jeff Saturday there on the other side. Uh, It sounded like a belcher. You want to replay that? I want to hear this again. Yeah, I think I, I did hear something there. You got more from Troy Aikman, you said, Mike? Yeah, he basically echoes it. Okay, well, all right, well, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, let's, let's hear that. And so I think, he's been, I think he's been beaten down pretty good because of the struggles of, around him. And it's, it's going to be a project as to whoever becomes the head coach. I think that they're going to have to build him up and see if they can get him back to where he has the confidence again that he can go out and, and, and play at a high level. But it has been a long time, Mike. It wasn't just this year. It's been a long time since I've seen Carson Wentz, you know, really play at the level that he needs to play at or any quarterback needs to play at. 
So yeah, I mean that that is is uh, it is a big project, and I don't think it is fixable. Like I don't. I think this is a guy who's broken physically. This is a guy who's never going to be the same again. He's broken physically. He's not any quarterback. He's not tough mentally. And here's one more from Dan Orlovsky talking about the pressure that Carson Wentz will be under this year. Like, why do you think he can? And this is the thing. He is obviously going to be under a lot of pressure if he's in Philadelphia. Which I'm still, I, Carson, I, I don't know if he still needs to reflect on whether he wants to play here or not. While well, he's counting his millions, you know, it's not enough for him to get paid and have a job. He also, uh, you know, he, he still might have his feelings hurt because the organization allowed him to be benched and they didn't override Doug, even though he's playing like the worst quarterback in the league. But uh, so be it. But what makes you think that he's going to respond well to pressure? He couldn't handle having a, having a competent backup quarterback. It's why they had Suds a year for three years. Because he, he he couldn't have a quarterback that's a threat to him. Because he folded when Nick came in. And he's never been the same since that. He folded the second they drafted Jalen Hurts. What makes you think this guy's going to respond well to pressure? It, it, it just, it's mind-boggling to me. And it, it bothers me as somebody who really likes Doug Peterson. And thinks Doug Peterson is a good guy, a good coach, and... A, a, a coach that players respected and players cared about. And now the optics, whether it's true or not, there's no doubt Carson had a role in this. And we'll get to this in the next segment here because Michael Irvin alluded to it on that same podcast as Troy Aikman, where this is an issue. Now, when you look at the locker room with Carson Wentz, this is a problem. And... You know, Jeffrey Lurie may have chosen Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson for now, but if the Eagles don't get rid of him and the Eagles don't trade him and they don't just decide we're going to move on and we're going to get out of this because this guy is 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 not good physically, he's not good on the field, he's not good in the locker room, he's not coachable, he has got none of the intangibles, none of the characteristics you need out of a franchise quarterback. If Jeffrey Lurie doesn't Realize that if Howie Roseman can't talk him can't talk him into that, then this organization's really in trouble moving forward. They move forward with that guy. Um because he's he's a big issue. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. In a couple minutes, I do want to play an interesting clip from Michael Irvin. And I know a lot of people don't like Michael Irvin in this town, but I, he made a good point in regards to Carson Wentz with the locker room that I don't think a lot of people have thought about, but this could be an issue. Um, you got something there, Mike? Sorry. Yeah, Michael Irvin, I thought, has had a really strong season. Like uh, Michael Irvin's getting pretty good at this, uh, this media thing. Yeah, like he, I don't know, kind of, Sounds like a weird thing to say, but he feels like a like a grown up at it now. He's better than Dion. I'm not a big fan of of Dion. What does Dion do? The, uh, the he does like primetime cam or something, yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah, but Michael Irvin's not bad. Um, and you know he's 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 doing a nice job, and obviously has his cowboy friends on Troy Aikman, and you know they they just cutting it up, cutting it up on a on a podcast. Maybe the clapper next week. There you go. That'd be great. Uh, no, it wouldn't. No, no. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't. Um, no links for the Eagles to the clapper yet. That's a little bit of a disappointment, right? Twenty-five to one. Yeah. <laughs> Good. What would be, would you place a little wager on that, Mike? Would you place you know ten bucks on on Jason Garrett to be the next Eagles head? If the Eagles fired Doug to hire Jason Garrett, that would be a donation. That wouldn't be a wager. Yeah. <laughs> Who uses that line? Uh, somebody used Lombardi. That I think he used it oh, for right, MVP for the, Mitch. Right, because we M- just talked about it the other day for, for MVP Mitch. There you go. You, yeah, uh, you get my references. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, and by the way, I get. I gotta get on. Is today the day that I think today's the day that Howard goes on with the midday show? Um, I can't wait for Howard uh, to give his take on the uh, on the Ben Simmons non-trade, uh, so he can keep up with his his Benjamin line. 
Yeah. Or just call him Ben. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I love how Howard always explains the joke. Yep. Benjamin, because he uh, doesn't have a J. Thank you. Thank you, uh, King. I appreciate it. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Alan. What's up, Alan? Hey, what's going on, guys? How's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I just want to call in. Um, I, You know, like I told my buddy before, I said with the Howie deal and, you know, going on with Doug Pearson, it basically came down to, to numbers, you know. It, it, it was no longer X's and O's. I know everybody's in love with Doug Pearson, like myself. I'm going to give him credit because, you know, obviously he blessed us in this city that we, you know, w- with a Super Bowl championship um, that we've been waiting for uh, my whole lifetime, probably yours. Um, so I take my head off. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it came down to who was cheaper, you know, um, like they say, cheaper to keeper. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but that's how I looked at the the whole situation. You know, taking my time and assessing it. I'm like, it's, you know, I think it came down to numbers, and you know, it also came down to, you know, they also want to stay at the cutting edge. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, Alan, I, I get it, but I also like. Uh, you're paying him next year anyway. Like, that's the thing. Like, you're paying Carson Wentz next year regardless, but you could got you can get out of the rest of that deal by trading him now. So I don't really, you know, I, I and if the Eagles are going to rebuild next year anyway, which which Jeffrey Lurie basically said they're going to do, then I don't think it really matters if you're paying him next year or not. Right, right, right. And, and, and also, like I told him, I said, I really don't think that they wanted to um, – Get rid of Wentz and, and, and you know, being a Howie had brought him in and, you know, he was a part of that that regime or whatever. That was like, you know, another black eye for him. You know, I brought a guy in, I drafted him, we moved up to get him, and he really didn't, you know, he worked out good, but, you know, the wheels fell off after a couple of years, yada, yada, yada. So, I don't know. I just think it was a couple of variables. I don't think, you know, like you said, they didn't really want to get rid of Doug Pearson. But I really think that it came down to a money thing and, I think that they knew that Frank Wright and Filippo was like the development stage for Carson Wentz. And when he's not there, then how good is Doug Peterson without those other two coaches? Yeah, no, I get you, Alan, and I appreciate it. But I'd say, you know, I mean, the good quarterbacks, good quarterbacks can do it. Like, regardless, look at what Deshaun Watson had this year, okay? And I know Carson Wentz isn't as good as Deshaun Watson, but – Good quarterbacks don't just fall apart the way he did. And Jeffrey Lurie making that comparison to Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger's years where they had not great years, it's not even comparable. Like, Peyton Manning had a rough year in what, his second year or something like that? It's not it, It's not like he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. He had a lot of interceptions. He wasn't the worst quarterback in the NFL. I think he had another bad year like later in his career, too. Like, well, much later, though, right? Like, within, like, Two years of that, three years of that. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't that bad though. That's the point. Like, um, he, like 2001, he threw 23 interceptions. That's what I'm thinking of. And he went six and ten. Okay, that's after going 13 and three and ten and six. He goes six and ten with 23 picks. Okay, well, you know, I, I, I get it, but I mean, I, I, I still think that comparison's absurd. Like, I, I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be anything close to Peyton Manning. I think the better comparison to be hoped for is, uh, is Eli Manning. He would, he would have well, he would have those clunker years in there, and then just bounce back and be fine. That's where we got into with Carson. Let's hope he can be Eli. Uh, yeah, let's hope he can be a Hall of Famer, Tom. Okay, uh, get get out of here with the Eli stuff. He's got the luckiest quarterback. Would you ever. rather have prime Eli or what you had last year? Well, I'd rather have anything than what I had last. Year. I'd rather have I'd rather have a uh, Coy Denver than what I had last year. I mean, come on, that's uh, not a. I'd rather have sleeves than what I had last year, and you know how much I hate sleeves. Please, I'm s- yeah, I, I was. That's a bit. That a was second. that was a bad. No, I'm thinking. I'm talking about Sammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah my fault. You're. Right. I mean, I was. I missed it. You're just. You're just playing devil's advocate. I get it. And I. You know. No, I like. I. I don't know. I thought it was a, a real comp. Okay, but um, so be it. But uh, you look now at the at the Carson Wentz thing, and this is an aspect of this that I don't think a lot of people have really thought about. But this could be an issue, and it it, it is with the locker room and. You know, regardless of what coach comes in, you can't just hand Carson Wentz the job next year. You can't. Um, because that's going to create a whole bunch of issues. Here's Michael Irvin 
on that exact situation and why, um, you know, it's problematic for the Eagles to bring back Carson Wentz next season. Absolutely. And, you know, you need to, regardless of what coach you bring in, if Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts are here, and I'm not trading Jalen Hurts. Like, I don't know what Jalen Hurts is going to be. I don't know if he's going to be any good. I don't know if he's going to be a starting quarterback in this league. But I'm not trading my insurance policy when Carson Wentz could just be terrible now. Like, that. Like, we could go into next season, and we could realize very quickly that this was not a Doug Peterson problem, that this has been a Carson Wentz problem the entire time. It's what I believe. It's still what I believe. I think he was the biggest issue for the team this year, and I think um, he got Doug Peterson fired, whether by telling Jeffrey Lurie he didn't want him, which he did, um, or just with his play, which was awful. He had a major role in getting Doug Peterson fired, and the organization is worse for it. And the way he's handled everything, I think, has been pathetic. It has been. From the very beginning, from getting benched to leaking out that he might not want to be here and that he only wants to be here if Doug's gone. And it's funny to me because I was listening to John Johnson earlier. John was on before I came on. And a couple callers called in, and they were, you know, giving the same stuff about, you know, Carson's this great guy, and Carson's this, you know, has been wronged by the organization, and all the typical stuff you'll hear. Um, But he has been a baby, and he's been unprofessional. And it's funny, because I, I thought about this earlier when I was listening to the Hoop Collective podcast, where Ben Simmons is a guy who gets trashed in this town. Every single day. I don't think there's any... Mike, is there anybody that gets criticized in Philadelphia more than Ben Simmons from an athlete perspective? Well, how he's not an athlete. So, yeah, just Ben. Right. Just, just Ben. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think anybody on the Phillies. I don't think so. No one cares about Harper. Yeah, nobody... Yeah, br- br- I mean... I rip Slay, but not really. I'm really the only one who does that. Oh, you know who's <laughs> emerged? This is Jason Peters. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. His approval rating is just me. Like, it's just whatever percent I am of the Eagles fan base. It's just me. Right, and you're going to die on that hill. But, um, you know, uh, because somebody had asked earlier, uh, a caller earlier, would this impact Ben Simmons down the line, the fact that he was being mentioned in trade rumors? And my answer was no, because as opposed to Carson, who gets coddled and expects everything to be catered to him, Ben Simmons is a professional. And I don't expect this to affect Ben Simmons in any way. Now, was Ben Simmons' play affected as he was in trade talks? Maybe. And that can that that's somewhat normal. I think if you're not somewhat influenced by trade talks, that's somewhat normal. But um, I don't expect Ben Simmons to resent the organization for them talking about him being in a trade. I actually expect the exact opposite. And here was Brian Windhorst on the Hoop Collective talking about Ben Simmons' reaction after not being traded on Wednesday. And that was Mark Spears who jumped in with that reporting. Very uh, timely, by the way, uh, in that podcast. But, you know, you look at a situation like that, and it's funny how we from the outside have these misconceptions of of athletes where people think Carson is this, you know, uh, this this extremely professional, great guy. All I know is he's leaking stuff every which way. He is. I mean, whether it's his representation or him, he's handled this entire situation horribly. Ben Simmons, on the other hand, as Brian Wintour says, was ready to be traded. 
He hadn't been told anything by the Sixers. Daryl Morey's probably been lying to him for a few weeks. But Ben Simmons, on the other hand, is a professional. Ben Simmons understands the business. And he understands that the team has a job to do. And the Sixers' job was to try to make their team the best possible. Just like the Eagles' job was when they benched Carson. So I just found the difference between those two there interesting, considering Ben Simmons gets bashed constantly. Carson gets defended constantly. Um, But, you know, Ben Simmons is the professional here. Ben Simmons is the one who understands the nature of the business. And, you know, he's ready to be traded. He's happy he's not. Uh, I'm glad that, that... he is happy and ready to move forward because that's what that's what professionals do. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, um, when we get back, I did want to uh, talk about another possibility as a head coach. And this one I did not think was very realistic on Tuesday. But now I... I I actually think there's a good chance, and I'd say this guy is the favorite in the clubhouse. Um, based on what Jeffrey Lurie had to say as his reasoning for firing Doug Peterson, whether it's true or not, I think he's laying the groundwork for this guy to potentially um, be hired as the new head coach. And I also uh, got to get to a crazy theory from Mike Angelina on who he thinks the Eagles should reach out to for head coach. You're not going to want to miss this. It is, it is absurd. It well, is, it is crazy, Mike. It is a crazy theory. Fans of the Rob Ellis program have heard it. So, okay. Well, um, if, if you know, you weren't listening last night with, for whatever reason, you absolutely should be listening to Rob and myself and John tomorrow night. Um, but uh, I couldn't believe when you texted me this take earlier today, I told you it was the dumbest thing I ever heard, and I'm so I I feel bad doing that, but it was it was absurd. Somebody else here was very approving of the take. Okay, well we'll talk about it next. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Open lines right now. In the next segment, we'll kind of recap some of the things we've been talking about. We'll get back. We'll play some of the the sound again from earlier from the uh, Hoop Collective for those who missed it at the top of the show. We'll play that in the next segment. Um, Kind of uh, uh, Brian Windhorst, Tim McMahon, Mark Spears talking about how the deal went down with James Harden and Brooklyn. And, um, you know, the Sixers' level of involvement, which was... Uh, very evolved until the very end, and it looked like they were going to get him, but ultimately um, James Harden goes to Brooklyn. So we'll do that in the next segment. Also, Mike and I will uh, run through the divisional round playoff games, give you our selections for this weekend. But uh, we've been looking at some of the candidates tonight for the Eagles head coaching job, and um, we we aren't going to get a chance to get to all of them tonight, but I wanted to get to this possibility um, because – it's been talked about a lot, Deuce Staley, um, and the potential of him being promoted by the Eagles to be the head coach. Now, earlier in the week, I really didn't put much thought into it. I, I thought, I, I, I don't really see this. I, I don't really see the Eagles hiring from within um, and promoting Deuce at this point. Not that Deuce doesn't deserve it. I think Deuce Staley does deserve an opportunity. I'm not sure if this is the right opportunity at this time. Um, But I certainly think there are worse choices. And I think Deuce Staley brings some interesting things to the table. And the more I thought about it, the more I think this is a real possibility this could happen. And part of the reason is that when I listen back to some of the things Jeffrey Lurie had to say, I feel like Jeffrey Lurie is almost laying the groundwork for this hire to be made. Like in the past, you know, the Eagles gave Deuce an interview in 2016. Um, I don't think they really believed he was ready yet. This time, I, I I don't think this is like courtesy interview. Like Deuce Staley is a legitimate candidate for this job. And at this point, I'd say he's probably the front runner for the job. I, I do. Um, and you can disagree with me, Mike, if you want, but the front runner, the front runner. 
Uh, uh, and I'll explain. Listen to the listen to the sound we're about to play here. And first, we'll start with this one in terms of Jeffrey Lurie saying why uh, the team was uh, had a different vision than Doug Peterson. We're at that point. It's a transition point, and we've got to get younger. We've got to have a lot more volume of draft picks. We've got to uh, accumulate um, as much talent as we possibly can um, that is going to work. Uh, in in the long run with a focus on the midterm and the long term and not on how to maximize 2021. And it's almost not fair to Doug because his vision has to be, what can I do to fix this right away? And what coaches can I, you know, have that can help me get to um, a smoother 2021? My vision is much more, how can we get back to the success we've had? Um, and what we're used to uh, in the next, you know, two, three, four, five years. And so it's not a difference of opinion. It's a difference of where we're both at. And um, I, I really feel it's, you know, it was in both of our interests to proceed on our own sort of paths that way. I think you look at it there. He's talking about a coach who is not concerned necessarily in the short term, a guy that's concerned in the mid and long term. Um, Deuce Staley would obviously fit that bill as a guy who's not going to feel a ton of pressure to come in and win immediately um, and has a, a, a familiarity with the inner workings of the organization. Here's more from Jeffrey Lurie uh, when Howard Eskin followed up on that question. So, Howard, I'd, I'd really rather not publicly talk about the details, but um, I think it's fair to say that I saw this as a uh, a re- retooling of the team in a way in which I, I thought uh, we needed to make a lot of midterm, long-term decisions. Um, and that also had to do with coaches. Uh, how, how would we best set ourselves up for success two, three years down the road? And, um, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather not publicly talk about any specific coaches or anything like that, except to say that we, you know, probably saw things a little differently. But uh, it, it was much more about uh, what I was trying to get across. Is it's much more about where we are as a franchise heading into a, uh, a retooling and a real transition period versus trying to support a coach trying to attract potentially other coaches, a defensive coordinator, uh, or retain people on the staff in that role, um, knowing that you you might not have the success that you want in that transition right away. And therefore, um, you don't want to put Doug in that position. And therefore, I thought it was best for him and best for us, you know, that we part ways. But it's it's just sort of the, the root of where we're at at the moment. And it's an interesting way that, that Jeffrey Lurie's framing that, where, you know, almost like, and this part of it is kind of ridiculous, that we were almost doing Doug a favor by firing him because, you know, he'd be going into a lame duck year. Um, but, you know, talking about the long term, that's laying the groundwork for somebody who's not going to come in and feel this immediate pressure. Um, and also... What do we know about the Eagles front office? They want control over the staff. Um, I don't think Deuce is going to be a guy that's going to come in and and insist on, I need this offensive coordinator. We need to run this offense. Deuce would be in a different role than Doug. He'd be the head coach, but he'd be in a different role. I don't think Deuce would be the play caller. I don't think Deuce would be necessarily running the offense but he would be the leader of the team which is a role that according to all the players everybody in that building that deuce is very well suited to be a leader the deuce is a natural leader that players and people respect and here's jeffrey Lurie uh talking about what he is looking for in his next head coach uh, in terms of the characteristics i'd rather not specify but i can tell you that uh, no matter who we are, who we have, it needs to be a leader of coaches, a leader of players, and someone who represents the organization in, in a great leadership way. 
And we had a lot of that with Doug. So it's, it's going to be um, leadership is an important characteristic. Um, you brought up offense. I, I think there's a couple ways to skin that cat. You can hire, uh, you know, somebody really steeped in offense or you've seen great offenses coached by head coaches that are coming from the defensive side. So I, I don't think there's any uh, a predilection for, for one over the other, but I do think somebody that is constantly curious of where the league is headed and what you need to do uh, to have uh, really good units. And again, um, uh, without a really good elite offense, um, I, I, you know, I, I tend to err on that side but not that side of the ball for head coach. And I just think that's kind of all laying the groundwork for a potential hire of Deuce Staley, where the, you can already see the way if the Eagles were to promote Deuce, how they would spin it is we like our infrastructure. We like what we have in place. Doug was not in a situation where, you know, he was, he was on board with, with taking a rebuild here this way. We can kind of keep continuity in place. Deuce is a leader. He can step into that role. The Eagles go. They hire a hotshot offensive coordinator. Then they can have their control that you know they love to have where they hire the staff. Deuce won't be overly, um, you know, I don't think controlling in that regard. He'll get certain things. Like, obviously, he'll have his guys around like Stoutland, and I'm sure Deuce will have some say over the staff, but he's not going to require this all-encompassing say. And I think that's important to the Eagles front office, is they don't want to give a coach power. That's been proven. I think they're scarred from the chip thing. I think it's part of the reason Doug's gone is because they didn't want him choosing coaches. They didn't want him choosing quarterbacks. They want a guy who is going to lead, but will defer in some of the decision-making. And I just see the groundwork all being laid for a potential promotion of Deuce Staley. And I don't think it would be a bad hire. I really don't. The only problem with it is if you're bringing in an offensive coordinator call plays, any offensive coordinator that is a good play caller is going to be gone very quickly because they will get a head coaching job and you just have to continue through this cycle. So that's the one issue I see with it. But I do think that Deuce Staley is a legitimate possibility um, to be the next head coach of this team. Um, and I don't think it would be a, a, a bad choice. He, he deserves to be near the top of the list of guys uh, to interview. Now, I do got to get to this because um, – I wanted to do a little appreciation segment as it was the uh, uh, yesterday was a three year anniversary of the Falcons uh, playoff win. The Eagles won 15 10 that Jeffrey Lurie uh, seemed to forget about when he just told Jim Schwartz, um, well, that wasn't a good performance in the Super Bowl, even though the Eagles won that game. Uh, the Eagles defense won that game uh, <laughs> for them when the offense was terrible. Um, but. Uh, the, the, the little appreciation for the former defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, who had a heck of a game. And I, the, the play that changed around that game, I, do you remember that, Mike, the Torrey Smith catch? That yeah, I was going to say a different play. but th- That might have been the luckiest play in Eagles history. That game might be completely different if that ball gets picked off. Yeah, uh, certainly would be. I, I thought the turning point of it was the McLeod blitz, but where he, he sacks Ryan, but you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. That when it hits Keanu Neal's knee yes. bounces into Tory Smith's hands, then there's like 20 seconds left maybe. And that seemed to like get Foles going in a weird way. Yeah. Foles was not very good in that game up till that point. And then he hits Alshon, gets him in field goal range. And uh, back when Elliot could make kicks, he actually made a kick. I think Elliot missed his first kick that game. He missed well, he missed an extra PAT. point. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then he made that field goal and it was 10, nine at the half, but um, the Eagles end up winning that game. 15, 10, but Mike, I get Mike had the most ridiculous suggestion for for head coach. Um, Mike, who do, you want them to reach out to? Who for head coach? I want them to interview Jim Schwartz. You want them to interview Jim Schwartz? Yeah, what's the downside to be the head coach? What's the downside other than you know the two hours it takes or whatever? They were going to fire him a week ago. Why would they bring him back in a in a in a promotion role? I think he's a I think he's a like he's like a boss. Like he's he can get up there and command the team, command a room, command the media with press conferences. 
I, I like everything about Schwartz. I think he's a good coach. And then, you know, you obviously got to bring in a good offensive coordinator. But I, the guy's been around for five years in the building every day and what, probably the second most important coach on your staff. I, I would at least be interested in what he had to say. But if they want somebody who's not going to want a say over personnel and not be overly controlling, I don't think Jim Schwartz is your guy. I don't think they're looking for a guy with zero say on personnel. No, I think no, I'm not saying zero say, but Jim Schwartz had like complete control of that defense. Worked out pretty well. Not this year. They had a good defense this year. Yeah, I mean it was fine. I mean, yeah, it was well, fine. It was, it was I, I, I I I'm in a way playing devil's advocate because I like Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. I don't like him as a head coach. I, I and I can guarantee you the Eagles aren't gonna go that route. I, I agree with you. They're not going to. I'm just right. saying that he's worth interviewing. Okay. All right. Well, d- d- relax and just, just uh, I'm very relaxed. <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was a crazy suggestion, but hey. What's all right? So what's crazy about it's it? Good other, hot than, take. other than like you, obviously you thought he had a bad year last year. What's no, so I crazy? didn't think he had necessarily had a bad year. I like Jim Schwartz. I just don't think you, you know. I I don't think it would speak to functional organization to basically fire a guy and then say, "Hey, Jim, you want to come back and be the head coach now?" Well, his direct report was uh, Peterson. He's no longer there. Like that does change the landscape. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We'll see. Maybe you'll be right. Maybe they'll interview. We'll see. Um, wouldn't count on it. Yeah, yeah, probably not. But but clearly a better candidate than Deuce Staley. You got to give that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I I don't hate the idea of Deuce. I really don't. I I think um in that kind of leadership role, he could he could be good. And the Eagles, you know, then could go hire an offensive coordinator. They like to call plays since that you know that's important to them. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, when we get back, um, I do want to. Um, go back to some of the James Harden stuff, play some of the sound that we played earlier um, in from the Hoop Collective, where they really kind of go through how this all went down on Wednesday and how the Sixers ended up not getting James Harden. We'll do that next. And to close out the show, Mike and I will uh, run through the divisional playoff games and give you our picks. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.